The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. As people said, amen. I know you just sat down a few minutes ago. If you're able to join me in standing today in honor of God's word, would you read with me Hebrews 13? We'll be starting in verse 20 and going down to the very end there, uh, of course, in verse 25. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, it is there as well. They're in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's been a while since I said it, you're welcome to take one of those blue pew Bibles with you as a gift from us to you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, 20 through 25. This is a benediction. It's a closing out of the, of the letter. Uh, he's wrapping up the themes that he's taught about for, uh, as he says in verse 22, a brief letter. Uh, perhaps it is, but uh, nevertheless, he starts in verse 20 as we read. Hear God's word this morning. Now it says, May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And verse 22, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, bear my, with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So greet all your leaders, verse 24, and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. And that is the book of Hebrews. And all God's people said, amen. Let's go to lunch. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, we're going to preach this through. But will you join me in prayer? And let's thank God one more time, and we'll get to the sermon this morning. Father, thank you for this book. Thank you. We, we don't know who the author is, but we know, Father, this author, as Brother Brian just prayed from Second Peter, was inspired by you as it was carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what was written here, Father, were some hard sayings, some tough sayings, some things that were very clear, but ultimately we know that it was to exalt your Son, the living Savior, the resurrected one, the coming again one, Jesus Christ, who is greater than all. And so, Father, for that, we thank you. So we close this book. Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? If there's any in this room or in the sound of my voice who don't know you as Savior, would you draw them by your Spirit to know you? May we go deeper and wider once again in this great book of Hebrews, Lord, that has pointed us heavenward more so than any book perhaps we've studied, yet all in the Scripture for us and our edification. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. May be seated. Thank you. Well, there's a story of a woman uh, who looked out her window and she saw her German shepherd shaking the life out of her neighbor's rabbit. And here's a picture of a rabbit, uh, just to make you feel warm and fluffy and, and fuzzy and all that good uh, vibe stuff, right? But her family did not get along well, particularly with the family of the neighbors who had the rabbit. So she knew with her German shepherd there was going to be some disaster. So she got out her broom and she scared her German shepherd away from the rabbit. And the dog, of course, dropped the rabbit. But then the lady, the neighbor, panicked because the rabbit was obviously what? Dead. You, you can sense that. So she, should, she didn't know what to do because she, she grabbed the rabbit. She took it inside. She gave it a rabbit bath. And she blew it and dried back its original fluffiness. And she combed it until the rabbit looked really, really good. 
And she snuck in the neighbor's yard. And mind you, this neighbor, they've been fighting. She snuck in the neighbor's yard, propped it up, put it in a box like the one you see on the screen, and put it back in its cage. Later that evening, she heard screams coming from the next door. And she ran out and asked her neighbor, what is going on? And she said, our rabbit, our rabbit. And the lady thought, oh, no, here we go. But the other neighbor cried, he died two weeks ago when we buried, but now he's back from the dead. What do we do? <laughs> Aren't you grateful our Savior doesn't need to be propped up like a dead rabbit? <laughs> That's the whole point of that story. But I want you to know that, that we don't have to prop up Jesus this time of year. We don't have to give him some assistance. We don't have to give Jesus a bath. We don't have to make him look good. We don't have to comb him back and put him in a cage and hope that everyone looks at him and says, wow, what is different about you? Jesus is our hope. He has returned from the dead, and he will not disappoint. And I want you to know, as we finish the book of Hebrews, it was not scheduled this way, but the only time you see the resurrection mentioned in the book of Hebrews was there in verse 20. Did you catch that? 20 and 21. He is raised from the dead. At the very end of the book, you think this would be a major theme of the book. At the very end of his book, he points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul wrote also in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, a scripture many of you know well. It'll be on the screen. He said that, that God declared to be Jesus, the Son of God, when he was raised from the dead. And this is why it's so important that we know that Jesus is greater than everything as the sermon title says, because, well, he is greater than everything. And he did that by raising himself from the dead. And today, as we close, as he gives some final instructions to us, he wants to remind you that there are foundational truths you need to know, resurrection from the dead being one of them, but other things that you need to hang your hat on to know once again why Jesus is greater than everything. And friends, I ask that you pray for churches this week that feel like that neighbor who have to give a rabbit, or in this case, Jesus, a little extra help. They try and prop him up through schemes and gimmicks and other things, and Jesus does not need anything else. You know, he has himself, and that is enough. And we don't need to woo and subdue people and bait and switch people. The gospel is enough. And if that's not enough to get people to understand the gospel, I don't know what is. So friends, I want to remind you, as he closes this letter, this guy, whoever wrote it, I'm going to argue perhaps Paul or Apollos, you, you can debate that till the cows come home. He focuses in on what he's been saying the whole time. Jesus is greater than everything. And because of that, that implies and that tells you how you should live. And the big idea today is simply this, is that every step forward in the Christian life is one of humble obedience to the written Word and work of God, it's motivated by grace and gratitude from a heart of love. And that's how he's going to end his letter. Look, there are no wasted tears in the Christian life, but it is impossible to live the Christian life without a risen Christ. And he is the only one that we can live it through by the power of his grace. So yes, in classic Darren fashion, we have eight foundational truths of Christian living in light of Jesus' superiority. They're very clear from the text, but as we land this plane, I want you to see how practical this is in light of how high the theology and the teaching has been. What is the first foundation that you need to live the Christian life based on Hebrews 13, 20 through 25? Well, you see it there at the first of verse 20. He says the peace of God. The first foundation is the peace of God. You notice what he says. He says, now may the God of peace, now may the God of peace. 
he's using a benediction. And we don't do that so often here at our church. A lot of you grew up where at the very end of the service, you had a benediction hymn, or the, the pastor might read off number six, where may the Lord bless you and keep you, may the Lord's face shine upon you, that sort of thing. We don't do that as often here, but your, your title of your, your, your headings may have benediction. He's trying to tell them, based on what we've heard, this is what I want you to see. But Paul likes, or Paul, I say Paul, the writer of Hebrews likes to speak about the peace of God. And it's not surprising because if you have Jesus, you have peace, don't you? You have peace that surpasses all understanding. And if you were to go to Romans 5, you know we have peace with God because of Jesus, that he died at just the right time for us. He sent his son to die for us, the ungodly sinners that we are. And the point he's trying to make, and the point Paul has made in other places of the scripture, is that to know God is to know peace. And if you know this God, you have peace. Not because of angels, chapter 1. Not because of keeping the law, chapter 2 of Hebrews. Not because of any sacrificial system, the rest of the book. But because of Jesus, you have peace. And may I remind you this morning that there is no peace with God. There is no peace with God and no peace of God for any soul separated from God. I hope you catch that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, and, and, and how many times, even in a gospel-centered church like ours, can we forget, forget to share the simple message? Christ loves you. He died for you. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. And the only way to turn to him is to turn from your sin, repent in, in contrition and sadness and sorrow that you've offended a holy God and, and trust that everything Jesus did. And what did he do? He died for your sins. He was buried, and he rose again. And if you trust in that, if you believe in that, the Bible says you have salvation. Jesus said, believe in me, and you shall be saved. And there is peace within him. Do you have peace, Christian? Look, we do not know what we do in the Christian life in order to get peace with God. We don't know enough facts. We don't do enough things, but we believe in the right one. And so many Christians struggle with this. Many people believe if I just go be a missionary for Jesus or I give my life to the ministry, then I'll have the peace of God. No, you won't. You'll just have stress and worry and all sorts of calamities. doesn't mean those are bad things. But the way you have the peace of God is by trusting the God of peace and him and him alone. Christian, you are here today. You have many things on your mind. It could run from your health to your finances to uh, that you wore the wrong shoes to church. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, the only peace you have, may you be reminded, is through God himself. It's not in a president. It's not in politics. It's not in whatever. It is in Jesus Christ. That is the first foundation he reminds you of. The second foundation he reminds you of, the foundation for life, not only the peace of God that you need, but you need also the power of God. Look at verse 20 again. He says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in John 10, Pastor Nelson did a few minutes ago in our scripture reading, that Jesus said, I have the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to raise it up again. The Father also had a hand in raising Jesus from the dead, as did the Spirit. That's another sermon for another time. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power by which we live the Christian life and the grace and spirit that God gives us. And this is a very Paul, Pauline idea. It's something Paul says. Romans 8, 11, if you want to write this down, it's not on the screen. But Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead gives you life in your mortal bodies, and through his Spirit he dwells in you. 
How do you have power to live the Christian life? You have power to live the Christian life because you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And therefore, you have the resurrected power to live the resurrected life. The reality is, is if the resurrection is true, if Jesus actually came back from the dead, everything's going to be a-okay. Or as one friend of Willie's and I used to say, it's going to be peachy keen, isn't it, Brother Willie? It's going to be all right. And that sounds so hallmarkish, doesn't it? It sounds so like, go get me a card from Hallmark and Liberty and let me read it to someone. It sounds so, but isn't that the truth? If death has been conquered, if you're free from your sin, if you have complete forgiveness in, in the light of a holy God, what else could go wrong? Yeah, things will go wrong. You will get sick. Your car will break down. You won't get to do the things you used to do. Your family may be fighting. You may not get along with your spouse. Your kids may have gone this way with their faith, whatever. The reality is, if the resurrection is true, and it is, it's going to be okay. Look, I'm not going to get up here today and give you 75 proofs why the resurrection happened. Because here's the deal. And I remind you this annually. You heard me say this before. But what, how do believers, you ever thought about this before? How do people in the jungles of the Amazon who just wear like a loincloth, like they're, they're like prancing around in, in what they know as their only garb, believe that a man they've never met in a place they've never been to, in a country, in a culture they've never seen, named Jesus, if you would ask them, how do they know Jesus rose from the dead? Are they going to give you, well, on the morning, there was this historical proof and this historical proof. And by the way, history, Josephus said this. No, they'll say, I know he lives because he walks with me and he talks with me, as the old hymn says, and that's how I know he lives. Look, is there historical proof? For the resurrection, absolutely. And there are good books on that. But the greatest power you have to show the resurrection to the world is by living by God's spirit and grace in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That is what it is. How do they in the jungle know Jesus raised him from the dead? Because he saved them. How do you know that you're raised from the dead and Jesus is raised from the dead? Because he saved you. That's it. So this week, I want to encourage you to pray especially for your Muslim friends and neighbors as they're in the midst of their holy month Ramadan, that the reality of the resurrection will be very real to people who've yet to come to know Jesus. But he is risen. Can we do it together? He is risen. He is risen indeed. He sure is. That's number two. How do you live the Christian life? You have the peace of God, the power of God. Verse 20 still. Next, you have the providence of God in your life, the providence of God. You notice that he says here, and we've talked about it a lot so far, he says not only did he raise Jesus from the dead, God the Father did, but there also, he's talking about Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, the great shepherd of the sheep. Again, Pastor Nelson read that from John 20. Pastor Brian read that at the call to worship from 1 Peter 2. He's the great shepherd and overseer of our souls, 1 Peter 2.25. Now, you'd expect him here to say, wouldn't you, Jesus, the great high priest, I mean, if you've been in Hebrews with us at all, you've heard that phrase all the time. He calls him the great high priest. Why doesn't he use that here? Well, there's a couple thoughts here. John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus is pointing back to Psalm 23, where Jesus is, is the shepherd that leads our soul through the valley of the shadow of death. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He always feeds us. He always leads us. And he always gets his sheep back home. And what he is telling them, as you trust him, the God of peace, as you know he's raised you from the dead, you're never in a valley of the shadow of death without God being there with you. And this great shepherd, by virtue of his resurrection, is alive. He's praying for you. He's in your corner. He's on your side. He's got your back, spiritually 
among other things. And yes, he gives to us under shepherds, the leaders we've talked about the last several weeks, but he's pointing them to the providence of God. He doesn't call you to live the Christian life on your own. He reminds them there is a great shepherd, a good shepherd that is always with you. I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? Matthew 28, after he resurrected, he said, lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. He's always with us. He never leaves us. Look back at verse 8. I prayed this in the prayer. You know this verse. Hebrews 13, 8. Look up there on your thing, even if you're writing down. If you haven't underlined this yet, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is he going to be there forever with you? Yes. Go back to verse 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper. So we say confidently, I will not fear. What can man do to me? No matter where God's plan and providence takes you, the good shepherd is always there with you. And that it comes by knowing the peace of God and the power of God. And the God of peace grants us the peace of God for Christian life. God, by the raised Jesus from the dead, is working in the same power through us in the Christian life. And Jesus, the great shepherd, is still looking over his church in his providence, power, and plan. But I want you to notice number four. And this is one of those words, if you have a young grandkid or kid, if you can get them to say this at an early age, praise the Lord. Foundation number four is the propitiation. Whoa, big word alert. Woo, woo, woo. It's coming. But I don't want to, there it is. Can you say that with me? Propitiation. And I enunciate that, propitiation. What is propitiation? Propitiation is the fact that God is holy and he requires that there be a propitiatory sacrifice. In other words, God is looking for someone to satisfy the wrath that he has. You see this at the end of verse 20. He says, by the blood of the eternal covenant. What is the eternal covenant? The eternal covenant is basically the death of Jesus Christ. The eternal covenant is what Jesus came to do, to die for sinners, to give you spiritual life. Because God is holy, he requires propitiation. He requires satisfaction. And when Jesus died on the cross, he said those famous words in John 19, 30, it is finished. You've heard it said a million times, not that he was finished, but it is finished. That is, your sins have been forever separated from you as far as the east is from the west. And to live the Christian life, you are going to battle against sin. You're going to be discouraged in your sin, but you need to know sin does not have the upper hand on you because of what Christ did, because of who he is, being the good shepherd who by the power of God raised from the dead, who gave you peace, and that propitiation gave it, and it is done. It is done. Can I just remind you here today, Christian, this is not on the screen, but it should, it should really just make you super sad and upset when people try to add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you ever know someone who's tried to work their way to heaven, try to sweat off their sins, try to go kiss a holy relic, try to give to the church, whatever, 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 to get to heaven plus Jesus, doesn't it just wrench your soul in the wrong way? Because you are saved by grace through faith. It is all in Christ or it's nothing. And the power of Christian living rests on that. You're gonna sin. You're gonna mess up. You're gonna continue down the road you don't want to. But by God's grace in Christ, you can be free and free indeed again and again and again. Not cheap grace. Cheap grace is not in God's economy. 
but grace given once for all to live for him. That's what he says. That's in one verse. Don't you love this benediction already? The propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath and anger. And Christian, let me remind you, God is not angry with you anymore. He's not looking at you with a scowl eye. He's not saying, ooh, he's not shaking his thumb, doing this with his hips. He's not doing one of those things. That has been poured out on his son. When God looks at you, he does not raise an eyebrow. He loves you and he cares for you. He gave his life for you. Run to him like that prodigal son every time and be embraced by the father's love. That is the love that we have in Jesus Christ. You are as saved today, free from the wrath of God, Christian, as you were at the moment you believed, as you will be forever. You don't earn God's grace even after you've been saved by grace. There is also verse, how do you live the Christian life? There's also the preparation of God. Look at verse 21. Number five, the preparation of God. Now, I will read the ESV, which is the Pew Bible, what I'm preaching from, but I want you to know it's different in different translations. We'll get there in a minute. But he says in verse 21, he does all this to equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This verse looks forward to the assurance that God will do great things through Jesus Christ that he who made you and made you part of his life will not let you go. He who began a good work in you will see it until the day of redemption. In verses 18 and 19, the author asked the readers to pray for him. Now he prays for them. And in verse 21, he's asking God to equip them. If you have the King James this morning, or New King James, I believe, has it too, you may have the word perfect or something to that degree or complete. But I think the better word here, I think the ESV nails it. Not ESV-ite, only-ite, but I think it gets the word right. That word equip or perfect or, or, or complete is used like weapons are used and needed for battle. When a, when, a, when a soldier goes to battle, I hope they don't go to battle naked, right? You hope you have some armor on, you have a gun, you have a, sh- a, a spear or a shield. It was used of sailors loading their ships with goods before they set sail. The word here is of doctors, and, and this one always gets me. Uh, if you've ever had a bone out of joint, thankfully I haven't, but if you had and a doctor had to set that bone, sorry, just gives me the eebie-jeebies right now thinking about it, but you know that it hurts, but if you don't set it, it's going to be worse, isn't it? This word equip here describes the process of preparing, shaping, adjusting, and mending. It it is a picture of a doctor setting a bone. So what is he telling him? He's praying that God would equip them that God would make them fit, ready, and capable to live out the Christian life, that he would put the broken pieces in their life, so to speak, back together to become useful again. And that's why James 1.17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow. And that's why he tells us here that what does God equip you to do? He equips you to do good in his will. Look at verse 21. He equips you with everything to do his will. What is the will of God for your life? Well, he tells you here. The will of God for your life is to do his will. You know, many struggle to know the details of God's will for their life. If you're a young person here today, you may have wondered at point, or maybe you're not young and you're still wondering, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Can you just show me? Can you, like, bring a plane across my backyard with one of those uh, big uh, capital letter, all caps, messages in the back, go do this, kind of like the Wizard of Oz kind of thing? No. But he knows that the writer says here, the emphasis here is doing God's will, not knowing God's will. He says, as you seek 
to, to live out this Christian life, as you seek to please God, he'll let you know what you need to do. He'll let you know what it is he wants you to do. And sometimes we don't do God's will because it seems really, really hard. Tina, I thought of you, and that song is still in my head. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And it's very true. God plans the way for you. He prepares the way for you, and he paves the way for you. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? How is he making you more like himself? If you follow God's will for your life, you can have confidence that when you find yourself at a river you cannot cross, God is either going to build a bridge, send a boat, or teach you to swim. But at the end of the day, God will equip you with every good thing to do his will. Through who? Look at the verse. He tells you, through a priest, a pastor, through Jesus Christ. What this means is, I'm going to be very practical with you. This means you don't have to live any longer in unforgiveness. God can equip you in every good thought and affection rather, to determine that unforgiveness will not rule your life. This means very practically you don't have to be some of you men in bondage to lust anymore. Whether that's on a screen, that's in your head, that's on a paper. You don't have to be in bondage to lust. It means also you don't have to live in bitterness and anger. It means that God can equip you with the power to recognize that you have so many more blessings than to be angry at whatever it is or whatever person's in front of you. It's there. And you don't have to be in constant hatred and resentment of your circumstances. You can be content with all you have. If you know Christ, he is equipping you to walk in this Christian life and to boil it down to know he's enough. And if you know he's enough, everything else will fall into place. Notice what he says. Through Jesus Christ, for his glory, amen. Church, can I say a word for us too? We will only be as spiritual giants as a church, if you will, the more that we entrust ourselves to do the will of God that is ours in Jesus Christ. We need to strategize, we need to pray, we do need to plan in all the proper ways, but at the end of it, if it's not glorifying to Christ, may we run away from it. That is the preparation. But notice verse 22. Not only is God preparing you, he's equipping you because of the peace, the power, and all those things, but there's also, how does he do this? Well, he does one way practically through the preaching of God, the preaching of God. Notice verse 22. He says, and I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation. I've written to you briefly, and all God's congregation said, yeah, right. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Philip Edgecombe Hughes, one of the great commentators I've been reading, said it this way about the book of Hebrews. He says, it's almost like the author of Hebrews, quote, wrote the book of Hebrews like a sermon written to a letter of friends. Like a sermon written to a letter of friends. Some of you know those old dead Puritan guys. Their letters to people were often sermons in disguise. They would give you little sermon points as they went along. And it's a beautiful description. It reads like a sermon that sounds like a letter to friends. And, and it takes about an hour. If you want to go practice this today at nap time, whatever that is for you this afternoon, go read it for an hour. That's how long it takes you to read through chapter to chapter in the book of Hebrews. But what he's saying to them is some of the things have been challenging. Some of the things they've said have been convicting. Some of them have been baffling even, stu- stupefying, glorious, even frightening. And here he says, bear with me in this brief letter. He's basically giving them a sermon without being there to give them a sermon. He says, bear with me. He says, bear with my word to you, though it's painful. Bear with me, though I said some things that, as we say, stepped on your toes. 
bear with me that it wasn't what you thought it may have been, but it's what exactly God told me it should be. And friends, may I remind our church of this, and Amy, if you'll put this up on the screen, please. No matter where you go to church, whether it's here or somewhere else, attending church that does not preach the word is like going to a restaurant that does not serve food. You may pay, you may go, you may spend your time, you may spend your resources, but he's asking them to listen faithfully to the word of God. He's asking them to bury their noses, as it were, in the truth of God's word. He's asking them to take seriously that when they hear this word, prayed, preached, sung, that it's not just a routine they do. It's not just something they check off their list, that this is the ultimate word of God for us. Oh, may churches recover a desire to honor the word of God above everything else outside of God himself in the church. We'd recover the word of God, how churches would change, how families would change. And this congregation needed to know that they needed to bear with his preaching. Many of you have borne with my preaching almost nine or ten years as it has been. Whether I'm here another nine or ten or another fifty or whatever, you bear with whoever is in this pulpit so long as they stay true to the word of God. That's it. They may have different plans. They may have less hair, more hair. They may have bigger muscles, less muscles. They may run further, faster, slower, stronger, whatever. doesn't matter. If they are preaching the word of God, you are called to listen. Isn't that what we talked about the last week? Obey your leaders and submit to them. So long as they're seeking the word of God. And as we bear with them and as we bear with each other, we will grow to know God's word. Some of you, it may grow your spiritual life just to go and turn on bot radio what is that, 92.3 or something like that? Go listen to it. Go listen to the preaching of the Word. Some of you go to sermonaudio.com or I'm trying to think of other websites uh, that you can go and listen to sermons during the day. It may be the best thing for your spiritual soul. Don't just think by hearing a sermon for 40, 42 minutes on a Sunday morning here is going to be enough. That's a great start. You need it throughout the week, and I need it throughout the week. There's also number seven. How do you live the Christian life? Foundation number seven, there is the partnership in God. Partnership in God. And that's, that's on me. That should actually be verses 22 and 23, or excuse me, 23 and 24. The screen is not correct. But notice what it says here, the partnership in God. He says, you, know, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall greet, see you if he comes. But greet all your leaders and the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings. Now, the big question in the room is, is this Timothy? Is this Timothy? We have a Tim in our congregation. Is this Timothy? Not our Timothy. Is this Tim, Timothy? Is this somebody else? Is this the Timothy of Paul, perhaps? Timothy was a pretty common name. We might quickly jump to the conclusion that, that this, is, this is that Timothy. We don't know for sure. What we do know is, is that this author of Hebrews loves being a missionary. He loves the truth of God. They're, they're traveling around sharing about Christ, and, and that's what we know. That's all we know. Now, whether he was the Timothy or not, he describes him very specifically. Look at your text. He tells him, not just he's just Timothy, he is our brother, Timothy. How many of y'all, I was just curious about this, how many of y'all grew up in a church where you referred to someone as brother so-and-so, our sisters, not just the pastor, but like everybody, uh, brother Timothy, sister Tina, how many of y'all grew up in a church like that? It's fine. It's not bad. I, I kind of wish in some sense we did that, because when you say it, uh, this, this, is, this is a free of charge. And Doug Hager, I thought of you, because if you go to enough Southern Baptist gatherings, you forget a lot of the names. And if you don't know their name, Doug, you just plug in uh, brother, right? Hey, brother. It's, it's good to see you, brother. I don't know who you are, but brother or, or sister. 
So if I forget your name and I call your brother or sister, you, you, I've shown my cards, all right? But he calls him Brother Timothy. And it is good and right to rejoice in the partnership we have in God together. That's why we pray for other churches. That's why we support other churches. That's why we desire, if, if God were to decide that Clay Como Baptist Church, Park Hill Baptist Church, whatever church down the road is going to get the revival, even if we've been faithful, we rejoice in that church. Because it's not about Tower View. It's not about us. It's about him. May God do that among our midst. I and mean, we pray for that in our area. Absolutely. But Spurgeon said it well, if you cannot rejoice at God working down the church down the road, then God is not working in the church where you live. And he rejoices. He looks forward to hearing what God is bringing the word to them. You notice he calls out the leaders here. He's recognizing the congregation leaders. He wants them to note that. But if a Christian doesn't show love, this will be on the screen for you. If a Christian doesn't show love towards other true Christians, the world has a right to judge that he is not a Christian. That is by Francis Schaeffer. I did not get a uh, screen time enough to really get that bold and big for you. You want someone to read that will really challenge you. Many of you know Francis Schaeffer would, would do that. It's been a few years. He passed away uh, a number of years ago, I do believe, 70s and 80s. But if a Christian doesn't show love towards one another, we have the right to judge that he's not a true Christian. First John will tell you that if you want to be chapter and verse. He tells him to greet all the saints, all those who are believers, all that he and the saints in Italy greet them. Look, we are to care for our fellow Christians, desire the best for them, and remember we are in partnership with them. This is not a Southern Baptist moment, but I just want to remind you that one of the reasons that we partner together with 47 other thousand churches is, is because it's not about us. It's about sending the gospel here and around the world. And we have missionaries here. We have missionaries around the world. We have partnerships around the world. May we never forget that we are in this together because someday we get to rejoice together. And oh, how we're looking forward to preaching Revelation, one of the most mission-minded books in all the Bible, how every tribe, tongue, nation, we're worshiping at the throne of God. And he tells them, greet the leaders and tell them and, and let them know we're there for them. Christian, can I just ask you here at Tower View, is there a Christian in our midst that you don't love? Well, how could you say that, Pastor? Because I've been around long enough in my young but almost over-the-hill years to know that just because you say you're a Christian and just because you come to church doesn't mean you don't hold a deep grudge because someone said something sometime, did something sometime. Trust me. But honestly, Christian here at Tower View, member at Tower View Baptist Church, you're a visitor, this can go for you too, but especially the membership here at church. Is there someone in this church or who was a part of this church years ago, five months ago, five minutes ago, that you cannot love because you have such a hatred towards them. Would you check your soul at the door like that? No, because you love all Christians. And that's why whether we hear of churches failing or churches striving, we pray for them because guess what? We're one step away from being in that same boat. May God keep us in the straight and narrow to remember it's not about us, it's all about him. And we are in one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Last foundation is this, is how do you live the Christian life? There's preaching, the partnership. There's also, number eight, the prayers to God. Verse 25. Hey, if you're looking to memorize a Bible verse and impress your friends, this is a pretty easy one. Jesus wept, and this one are pretty close, right? Here it is. Five or six words. Grace, grace be with all of you. Six words. Did I get that right? Yep, six words. Grace be with all of you. What is he telling them? 
What does the author of Hebrew want with these words? It's a prayer. You say he's not praying. Well, he is. Grace is the unmerited favor of God in the gospel. It's one of Paul's favorite greetings. Grace to you, the, 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 the Gentile uh, greeting, and, and, and peace. Grace and peace. But here it's just grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. And what he's offering a prayer for, he says, you're facing persecution. I pray you look back at all the Old Testament saints in, in Hebrews chapter 11, and you see how they dealt with it. I pray you see that Christ is greater and above all things. I pray that you see that I want God to work in you and equip you for all good things. I pray that you see we're in your corner. We may never see you physically again, but we want the spiritual best for you. We ought to pray this for each other, that we believe that Jesus is enough to carry us all through every day. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, husband, wife, widow, single, whatever you are, Christ is enough for you. It's enough for me. It's enough for this church. But you know, oftentimes... Instead of praying for people, we often put them to now. It's often said that prayer meetings are nothing more than gossip fest. Grateful that doesn't happen here at our church, at least as far as I know and understand. But D.A. Carson, there's a lot worse people you could read in this world than D.A. Carson. He said it this way. He said, all of us would be wiser if we'd resolve never to put people down, dot, 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 comma, except on our prayer list. Social media, oh, I really hate that president. Oh, I really hate that president. Now, I really hate that sports guy. Oh, yeah. Joe Buck's calling the Royals games again. Oh, you know. <laughs> KU women won the basketball. Oh, Missouri. Like, Whatever you get angry at, whoever you get angry at, who do you want to put down? How much more would we pray that God's grace would be on people? And through them, God might display his magic, glorious things to bring them to Christ for the first time or to grow them and equip them in the grace for the millionth time. Friends, I would encourage you as he calls out here, he doesn't say anything. He just prays grace for them, grace for them. As we close, and I put this on Facebook, which makes it legitimate, right? <laughs> I was talking to one of our young guys here yesterday about something, and uh, uh, we threw out that phrase, is it Facebook official? And, uh, uh, you know, that used to be a phrase. But here's what I want you to see. I crunched the numbers because some of you really like this stuff. Uh, all two of you and me, perhaps, but here it is. You ready? Through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews has 13 chapters, 303 verses. It takes you an hour to read at a pretty steady pace out loud. We have preached, checking my watch, that's about right. We have preached roughly 2,100 minutes on the book of Hebrews since January 2nd, 2022. That breaks down to 49 sermons, four different preachers or pastors, whatever you want to call them, and uh, 2,100 minutes roughly divided by 49 equals an average of 43 minutes per sermon. Some of you wonder how long I'm up here and how long you sit. There you go. <laughs> we have talked about the sermon series, and I just listed these from chapter one on, that Jesus is greater than angels, anyone's awesomeness, falling away, anyone's uniqueness. He's greater than Moses, unbelief, the heart of failure. Jesus is greater than ourselves, holy men, any applicant. He's greater than unbelief. There it is again. And I lost my screen. That's why you don't take a digital notes into the pulpit. He's greater than false assurance, false hope. He's greater than all types and shadows. He's greater than the priesthood, self-salvation, the old covenant. Jesus is greater than any hope, any blood, any repeated sacrifices. He's greater than false confidence. He's greater than apostasy. He's greater than the best. Jesus is greater than the unknown. He's greater than your sinkable faith. He's greater than your stagnant faith. 
Jesus is greater than any test or earthly hope you can face. He's greater than any lazy faith, passing pleasures, virtue and vice, any race you run. John preached that one recently. Any suffering, any individualism. He's greater than any man-made religion. He's greater than being alone. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's greater than any earthly leader, worship wars, and rebellion. Jesus is greater than all. That is the message of Hebrews. I joked on Facebook. I joked on the pulpit last week. Some of you all survived, and we still haven't gotten you a shirt. I survived the Gospel of Mark in three years at Tower View Baptist Church, 2017 to 2020. Perhaps we'll make a shirt that said, we joyfully listen to the preaching of Hebrews for 2,100 minutes at Tower View Baptist Church. If you're really keeping track and score for what it matters, that is at 1.75 days of your life have been in the book of Hebrews, at least the preaching of. Guys, it's been a blessed journey, but we are grateful as we walk forward, Jesus is greater than all. Will you pray with me as we close out today? Thank you. Father, as we come to you, we thank you that these last five verses remind us that we need your peace, we need your power, that in your providence you have sent us the good shepherd of our souls. You haven't left us by ourselves, but he guides us. That, Lord, you have sent him also, this great Jesus, to be the propitiation, the sacrifice, the once and for all taker, offering for our sin. That, Lord, you are preparing us, you're equipping us to do your will not just to know it, but to do it, to live out the Christian life and all the things we've heard and other things that are not mentioned in this book, that, Father, that often comes, and we pray it always will be at, through the preaching, the foolishness, as Paul says, the preaching of your word. Father, that you have partnered with uh, us, other people of like-mindedness. We may disagree on some other things, but at the core, we share the basic beliefs that you are who you say you are, and in Christ, there is no other hope or salvation. And finally, Father, that we might pray for each other, that we would encourage each other to pray, not just for health and, and things of this life, as important as they may be, but as Paul often prayed, that the spiritual blessings and benefits of knowing Jesus Christ would be to the benefit of those with whom we are, or to whom we are praying for, Father, in your grace. Father, I thank you so much. As we close out this book of Hebrews, as we celebrate, we do every Sunday, but certainly on the calendar next week, Easter. We are grateful that this church holds to the fact that there's none greater than you. Father, may you lay low any plans, any scheming, any strategizing that does not keep that at the forefront of our minds here at Tower View and for any church, especially for Brian, myself, Nelson, and other leaders of this church. Father, may our heads get smaller and smaller as we consider how humbling it is that you, the Holy God, have come down to us. Thank you, Lord. We end this today thanking you for this study. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Brother Brian. Jesus, just to take him at his word.